Well, welcome to all of our campuses and venues to Orange Day here at New City Church. We're so grateful to have each of you here. And you guys look great in orange, I have to say. You look really, really good. If you're visiting today with us at New City, we don't wear orange every single day. This is a special day where we're celebrating our next-gen ministry. And next-gen for us is all of our children's ministry, our student ministry, and combined, you just saw some of the statistics there, we have 1,128 children and students that are a part of our new city next-gen ministry that God has entrusted to us to raise to new life in Christ and to release and equip uh, to be disciples for Jesus in the world. We're so excited about that because we also have 578 next-gen volunteers that tirelessly work every single week to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. So right up front, I just want to thank all of our next-gen ministry, our staff, our volunteers for all the incredible work that they do day in and day out across all of our campuses. And uh, kids and students, I hope that you'll see just in a small way with all of our campuses decked out in orange today that we love you as a church and we believe in you. So I wanna introduce a really important equation to our church today, an equation that I hope will be something that lasts for, for years and years and something that we can rally around together at New City. It's a really simple color equation. Red plus yellow equals orange. Red plus yellow equals orange, and it's why we're wearing orange today. Let me talk about uh, what these two colors mean that make up orange. Red represents the, the love of the family. And yellow represents the light of the church. And when those two things come together, the love of the family and the light of the church, orange happens. And it's more than just a color happening. It's an impact on the next generation of Christ followers. What if, guys, what if? What if the two greatest God-given influences on the planet, the family and the local church, work together to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. If orange represents our ministry philosophy, because it does here at New City, of partnering with families really well, if orange represents our ministry philosophy, our idea of how this happens, then Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7, represents our biblical mandate, the foundation of truth that we're basing all of this on. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you today on Orange Day to, to open them to Psalm 78, and we're going to look at the first seven verses specifically. If you uh, are following on our app, the, the passage is already downloaded on our New City app, and the outline and notes are there as well that you can follow along with me. Psalm 78. I'm going to read the first five verses, and then I want you guys to help me out with the last two verses, verses six and seven. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from, the, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders of that he has done. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. And then let's read verses 6 and 7 together as a church. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that 
they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. May God richly bless the reading of his word to each of you today. This is known as an, an historical psalm. Psalm 78 is an, an historical psalm. Psalm 105 and 106 are also historical psalms, meaning that the psalmist, Asaph in this case, is looking backwards. He's looking to history, and namely what you just heard is he's looking at the history of Israel, God's people, and all that God has done. And this is what's so interesting about Psalm 78, is that it's a historical psalm, but which way is the psalmist pointing? To the future. And we learn something here, don't we? That in order to look to the future and understand what God wants to do in the future, we need to look where? To the past. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's why we say around here, if you want to know what God is doing in your life, what do you need to do? You need to look back at what God has done in your life. When you want to know what God is saying to you, so many of you today are wondering what God is saying in your marriage, in a difficult situation, and circumstance in your life. What is God saying? When we want to know what God is saying to us, what do we need to do? We need to go back to what? To what God has already said to us. This is what the psalmist is doing. He's looking backwards at the stories and the wonders and the deeds of God in order to look forwards to the future of the next generation. And he says a couple of things specifically. Let's, let's, let's give our attention here to the psalm. He says, I'm going to open my mouth in verse 2 in a parable. I'm going to utter dark sayings from old. And you say, Chris, what, what does that mean, dark sayings of old? Is that like a secret thing? No. What he's saying is the, the stories that have been shared with us, the stories that we've known, the parables that we've known about our history, about our family, about the people of God, we're going to put them on display and bring them into light. He's saying, we're going we're gonna to pull out the old family album, the picture album, and we're going to open it wide so everybody can see the stories of God, the wonders of God, the deeds of God. We're going to make them known. And who are we going to make them known to? We're going to make them known to our children, to the coming generation. Look at verses 3 and 4. The things that we have heard and the things that we have known that our, what? Our fathers told us. There was a generation that passed the faith baton to us. And now we want to be faithful to do what? We want to pass the faith baton to the coming generation. And we're going to do that by talking about what we have heard and what we have what? What we have known. Verse 3, Psalm 78. We're going to do that by talking about what we've heard and what we've known. It's one thing to hear the stories of God. That's part of the equation. We have to hear the stories of God, the truth of God, the teachings of God, the stories of God. But what else does the psalmist say? We're going to impart to the coming generation what we have known. In other words, what we ourselves have experienced. It's one thing to hear the stories. That's a part of it. But it's another thing to experience your, only, your, your, your own only God stories. Your own stories of how God came through for you. His faithfulness, His goodness, His mercy, His love, His grace. Is anyone with me? Uh, the stories of how God has been faithful to you. We're going to make those known to the coming generation. We're going to make sure that they know about the glorious deeds, the psalmist says in verse 4, and his might and the wonders that he has done. In other words, not just what God has done, that's important, but also who God is. We're going to talk about his wonders, but we're also going to talk about his might, his characteristics, his identity, 
who the God that we serve and love really is. These are the things that we're going to impart to the coming generation. Because God himself, look at verse 5, God has established a testimony in Jacob. What does that mean? It means that God has established his story. God has established who he is and what he wants to do in the past generation. And he's commanded our fathers, the past generation, to teach their children. And then verse 6, the next generation. The next generation will what? They'll know him. They'll be able to experience him for themselves. This is what sets apart Christianity from every other world religion. It's based on a personal volitional choice that you make to follow Jesus. And we as, as a generation want to pass off the truth of, what, of who God is and what he's done to the, to the coming generation. But it's up to each and every one of those individual members of that generation to make a choice to follow Jesus. It's not about your last name. It's not about where you were born. It's not about how much money you have. It's about you standing before a holy God and knowing that the only way that I will be accepted before God is through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to tell the next generation that they would know. And their children, the children yet unborn, the coming generation after them. And here's the whole purpose of it all, according to the psalmist. Psalm 78, verse 7. Look at this with me. So that they, who is they? The next generation. So that they would do what? Here it is. This is the whole purpose of it all. So that they would set their hope in God. That they would place their trust and their hope in God. So many things in this world that are begging for our attention. So many things that are saying, put your hope and your trust in me. Relationships, finances, all kinds of things that are saying, here, here, here. And God says, your hope is in me alone. And the psalmist says, the whole idea of looking backwards and telling stories and being faithful is that so that the next generation, so that the next generation will place their hope in God. And they won't do what? They won't forget. They'll remember. Did you know that all the Old Testament, all 39 books in the Old Testament can be summarized in one word? You want to know what it is? Remember. Remember. When you're looking to your future and you're wondering what God is going to do in your future, and I know so many of you are, remember. Remember what God has done. And remember, most importantly, who he is because he is the same yesterday and forever he is unchanging in a world where everything seems to be changing god is unchanging and he is worthy of our hope our trust and our love isn't it interesting as we talk about this equation of red and yellow equaling orange the the love of the family the light of the church these two god-given institutions the family and the local church and the importance of them isn't it interesting that the family and the church are oftentimes the greatest places of the enemy's attacks the enemy would love to destroy your family he would love to destroy your church the enemy hates families he hates churches because these are the two places where God's grace and his truth are known and expressed the most. And I think it's interesting that this, these are the places where the enemy oftentimes gets in and wants to attack to break up marriages, to break up relationships between parents and their children, grandparents and their children, to come into churches and to break apart churches. He wants to attack us because he knows the power of the church and the family, especially when we work in partnership together. And so we've got to fight for our families. We've got to fight for our marriages. We've got to fight for our church. 
to display the truth of God and to live that out in grace and humility with one another. Let's talk about both pieces of this important equation today that we're learning, this orange equation. Let's start with red, the love of the family. God gave us the gift of family and children were made for families. I think you would agree with me. Children were made with, for families. They were made to be nurtured and loved and to learn first and foremost about the character of God and the works of God and the stories of God primarily through their family. God designed the family to be a place for children to be loved and known and cared for. And families come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and forms. And I want to acknowledge that today that I know through sometimes brokenness and sometimes just different circumstances, sometimes because of loss in your own life, that it's changed the way your family looks. Families today can be made up of, of grandparents who are raising uh, some of your grandkids because of circumstances, or some of you are raising a child alone as a single mom, as a single dad. And let me just say on behalf of all of us, you are our heroes, single parents. Some of you are fostering children, an incredible work that you're doing of, of bringing in children from our, our city who don't have a safe home or a place to be, and you're, you're working to, to remedy that and bringing children into your family, and that's an amazing thing. So many of you have opened up your homes to adopt, and, and we see that movement happening across our church, and we're so proud about that and so amazed by the grace of God and your openness and your humility to, to open your families to children who need families. We believe that children, every single child deserves to have a loving family and the church can be such a part of that no matter what your family might look like today no matter what form your family might be taking on today know that God wants to work through your family the very family that God has given to each of you God wants to work in and through your family and if you think that you need to be a perfect family to be a family that God can use you're wrong you don't need to be perfect for God to use you. There are no perfect people in this room. There are no perfect people in our church. Every single family has its dysfunctions, and God can work in spite of our brokenness, oftentimes through our brokenness by His grace to do His good work. We don't need to look any further than the Bible to see uh, imperfect, dysfunctional families and how God worked in them and through them in spite of themselves. Noah had a drinking problem. And it caused a lot of dysfunction in his family. You can go back and read the story for yourself. Abraham offered his wife to another man. Remember that? That makes for a long ride home with your wife after that happens. Uh, Rebecca, Rebecca, remember Rebecca schemed with one of her sons to, to fool her husband? Remember when that happened and God worked through all of that? How about Jacob? His sons sold one of his other sons into slavery. That makes for a really strange family reunion. Uh, how about David? His son Absalom led a rebellion against him. Talk about dysfunction. Eli, the priest, his sons uh, went out of control, even in the middle of the temple. The pastor's sons uh, lost control. He lost control of them, and all kinds of dysfunction happened there. H how about Mary and Joseph? You don't need to be a perfect family to be used by God. Mary and Joseph, they weren't perfect. In fact, remember they lost their son, Jesus, the perfect one, in the temple for three days. So if, unless you've lost your kid in church for three days, you're already ahead of Mary and Joseph and what they did as parents. How, how about the first family, Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, all, all they did was single-handedly start the downfall of humanity through their family. And one of their sons killed the other son. 
All kinds of brokenness and dysfunction, and yet God wants to work through families. And God wants to work through the dysfunction and brokenness of your family through his grace and power. So parents, listen to this. Parents, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be present. And you need to be purposeful and ask for God's grace and his strength and humility in doing the greatest work and task that God could ever call you to, which is raising the next generation of Christ followers. Parents, you are the primary shepherds. You know this, but let me just encourage you. You are the primary shepherds of your children. You're the primary shepherds of their hearts. And God wants to use you to impart his stories and his wonders and his character to them. So invite your, invite your kids no matter what age they might be, it's never too late. Invite your children into the bigger story of God. Live on mission in front of your kids. You don't need to worship your kids. We have a problem with that sometimes in America. You don't need to idolize your children. You just need to lead them. And you can't lead your children if you're not already following Jesus yourself. And as you follow Jesus, not being perfect, but as you follow Jesus, even through your brokenness, by grace, through faith, invite them to come along into the bigger story that you yourself are living into missionally. My own family has all kinds of dysfunction, right? My dad's in heaven. My mom is watching on the live stream right now uh, from our West Campus. I often say, if, if my mom leaves the church, if my mom ever leaves New City, you should leave New City too. You should definitely leave the church if my mom ever leaves. So mom, don't leave the church. Um, my mom and dad were not perfect people, okay? And, and there was lots of dysfunction in, 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 in our family. Lots of good and bad all wrapped in, just like your families, I know. But you know what I remember? I remember several things about how God worked through my parents, sometimes in spite of brokenness, to, to share with me and impart to me the goodness of God. I remember my dad being without a job for a long season of time. And I remember one night when my dad got a phone call uh, that he had received a job here in Charlotte. And I remember my dad gathered all of us in the living room and we knelt down together and he held hands and, and thanked God for his provision. I just remember that like it happened yesterday. My parents weren't perfect. But I remember them leading us in that way. I remember us going to Presbyterian Hospital and picking up Meals on Wheels meals to deliver to, to widows and to shut-ins across the city. They, my parents were just a part of that with their group. And I remember my dad would have us come up on the door and we would knock and we would, we would just bless them and pray for them and give them the meal. And my dad always wanted us, if we were invited, to go in and sit down on the floor or wherever and listen to someone else's story. Someone who didn't live a life like us who lived in a different part of the city than we did, who grew up differently, but to, to hear the stories and to understand. And it began to put a, a, a place in our hearts, my twin sister, my older sister, of service. And my dad, I'm sure, didn't even know he was doing that, but God was working through him. I, my parents came to faith later in their life. And so we were in elementary school. My parents became Christians and started taking us to church. And that was a whole different thing when we started going to church. And then my parents started listening to um, Charles Stanley in touch every single Sunday, CBS, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. And, and it was the same sermon. And they would have it on in the morning. And then we would go to church. And then at night at like 8 p.m., it's like, can we watch, watch MASH or Cosby Show or something? And they would have CBS, you know, Charles Stanley on. It was the same sermon. And, and I'm like, oh, we have to listen to this sermon again. Little did I know, right, that, uh, you know, I was going to have to be listening to my own sermon. I have to listen to myself three times a weekend preach. My parents uh, were not perfect, 
My parents weren't perfect, but they did some things in our hearts and our lives to, to lead us to Christ, to show us the love of Jesus. And parents, you can do the same thing. You already are doing that. So much effort as parents goes into what we want to leave for our kids. Can I, can I just say one more thing about this? So much effort for us as families and as parents, uh, we think about what we want to leave for our kids, an inheritance or finances or property or home or whatever. But more important than any of the stuff that you can leave for your kids is what you're going to leave in your kids. And it's not all going to be good. And sometimes the greatest lessons that you can teach your kids, I'm learning this as a dad myself to a, a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and now a 10-year-old, that sometimes the greatest thing that you can do for your kids to show them Jesus is to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm sorry I said that to you. I'm sorry you had to see your mom and I argue that way. Would you please forgive me? Modeling grace in front of your kids. Parents, God wants to use you. God is using you. And you're, listen to this, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great work. So many of us as parents, we just beat ourselves up relentlessly. We're our own worst critics, right? You're doing a great job. You're doing a great work. Don't get distracted. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. You're doing a great work. I, I love the story of Nehemiah when Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall and all of his detractors and his critics would come and yell at him. And five different times they tried to get Nehemiah to come down off the wall. Come on down off the wall, Nehemiah. Let's have a meeting. Okay, let's let's gather together and have a meeting and come on down off the wall. And finally, Nehemiah just exasperated. He says, you remember this? In Nehemiah 6 verse 3, he says, I'm doing a good work. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. Tell my detractors and critics that, and I cannot come down. Parents, you're doing a great work. Don't come down. Don't take your eye off the ball. This great work that God has called you to. And because of the grace of God, because of his empowering Holy Spirit inside of you, you can do it. God's going to empower you and equip you to do it. And here's the other part of the equation. We, the local church, we can help. If red represents the love of the family, then yellow represents the light of the church. And in spite of our brokenness and dysfunction, because every church has brokenness and dysfunction, there is no perfect church. In spite of that, just like families, God wants to use the local church to share his gospel with every single man, woman, and child across the planet. God is still faithful in spite of ourselves as a church to want to use us as his instruments of grace and mercy and truth to the world. The old uh, Home Depot uh, slogan said this, you can do it. You remember this? We can help. You can do it. We can help. And I love that as we think about families and the church. Families, parents, you can do it. And we as a local church, specifically New City Church, we can help. We want to help. We want to encourage your kids. We want to equip you. We want to partner well with you to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. We have to do it. And the stakes have never been higher. Let me share a, a few statistics to, to prove that to you. Right now, most statisticians say that there are somewhere around 22 to 23 evangelical Christians in the United States out of our population of 300 plus million. That's roughly the state, uh, the population of the state of New York. Evangelical Christians. You say, what, is, what does it mean? When you, why are you saying evangelical? Evangelical meaning broadly those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ as the way of salvation. 
Just forget about the political stuff. Just broadly, evangelicalism meaning that we believe in Jesus for salvation. And New City Church is an evangelical church. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. There are 22 to 23 million evangelicals in the United States. If something doesn't change in the next generation, those same statisticians say that that number in 30 years will be somewhere around 15 to 16 million evangelicals in the United States. So the population of the U.S. in the next 30 years will go from about 315 million to 400 million, but the population of evangelical Christians will go from 23 million to 15 to 16 million. Let that, let that sink in for just a moment. In one American generation, we could see the percentage of evangelical Christians, those who believe in Jesus for salvation, cut in half. The church and the family must think differently about how we partner together to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. We've got to pray. We've got to work. We've got to trust God like we never have before to tell them the wonders of God and who he is for them to have a relationship with him. The local church, everyone watch this, in spite of our dysfunction and our perfections, the local church, because we're carriers of Jesus and the gospel, the local church is still the hope of the world. Each and every one of you are the containers, if you will, that God wants to take into the world to share and to dispense his gospel and his love and his truth with other people. And therefore, the local church is the hope of the world because we're the carriers of the hope that we have in Jesus. And we've got to work specifically with families inside our very church. Our mission begins right here in our church to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. I want to just commend our next-gen team, our staff and our volunteers for all the work that they're already doing towards this. And I want to just encourage us as a church that we're working tirelessly to, to not just have an orange weekend or to talk about this and inspire for one weekend, but every single day to put a plan into action of how we're going to live this out together as families and the church partnering together to raise the next generation of Christ followers. And it's already happening in so many ways. Let me finish with just a few stories. Two weeks ago, we took several students from the South Park campus to camp. We take almost 500 kids and students to camp every single year. And we do that because we believe in these catalytic environments where we pull students and children out of their everyday lives and we help them to concentrate on Jesus without distractions. And so many of them make commitments to Jesus, recommitments to Christ. And two weeks ago, we had eight uh, boys between third and fifth grade that accepted Christ for the first time at, at our camp uh, through the South Park campus. Just an incredible thing. And, and four, yeah. Four of those boys, the story gets even better. Four of the eight came back to their, their room in the cabin there. They were third graders and their, their whole third grade group of other boys and their next-gen volunteers and leaders and shepherds who were there with them all laid hands on them and prayed for them the night of their salvation. What, what an incredible moment for our church. One of our kids, a shout out to Matthews East today, one of our, our kids that was um, at the Matthews East campus over Easter asked their next-gen leader, what does the Easter bunny have to do with Easter? Okay, legitimate question. What does a bunny have to do with Easter? 
and that Next Gen volunteer just had an incredible platform, right, to share about Jesus and the gospel and what Easter really means. And, and then finally, they took the, you know, it's one thing to say that, but, it, you know, oftentimes we need to go one step further in our conversations. And I love that this volunteer went one step further and not only shared the gospel, but said, do you believe this? And that child said, yes, I do. I believe in Jesus. We have a volunteer at our Matthews West campus that is a senior. She's, she's graduating. We have so many incredible seniors that are graduating. Be sure to grab a, a card. We have all their pictures and stories on cards, prayer cards for you to take as a church and, and pray for our seniors who are, who are graduating this year. But uh, one of our seniors at the Matthews West campus has been volunteering in next-gen ministry for four years, and she's moved up every single grade level with her elementary students that she's discipling. And one of the coolest things that we have going on right now at all of our campuses is students discipling other students. Middle school and high school students who are working with elementary students and sharing their faith at an early age, learning that that my faith can't just be about me. It's got to be about sharing it and discipling other people. I love this. And so this this senior is, is the last four years has been imparting what God has been teaching her to these, these, these children who have been uh, going every single grade up the last four years, and now she's graduating. And the cool thing is she's going uh, to college to study to be a teacher. She's going to be an elementary ed major. And when we asked her, you know, why do you want to be a teacher? She said, because of what God's done my li- in my life the last four years in serving in next-gen ministry. And now I want to go and be a teacher and do that for other kids in our city and, and around the country. And, and the story gets even better. The, the, the way this senior got involved in volunteering with Next Gen Ministry is that her dad has been a faithful Next Gen volunteer for years and years, and he's the one that invited her to come in. There are several uh, senior adults who are, can I say that, senior adults, seasoned, seasoned adults in our, in our church who are serving all across our campuses on Sunday morning in the Next Gen Ministry and, and just living out Psalm 78. And one story I heard in particular uh, at our South Park campus of a, of a senior adult uh, leader who wanted to specifically be assigned to a high school group, a high school girls group, because she wanted to be able to talk to high school girls about all that she's learned in her life and her experience and help them to lead and love in the right way. Talk about living out Psalm 78 of imparting what you've learned about God to the next generation. I love that. And I just want to bless that generation for imparting their wisdom and their knowledge and experience to the coming generation. At Matthew's East, we have a a toddler that just had a hard year coming into one of their classes and uh, just wanted a a male, a guy, next-gen leader to be in there. So whenever there wasn't a guy in the room, he would cry. And just didn't want to go in. And so one of our male volunteers saw that, recognized that, made a commitment to being there every single week. And uh, he doesn't cry anymore when he goes into the classroom and says, I'm, I'm ready to go see my next-gen buddy. And that's the power of what you can do when you volunteer and take the opportunity to do that. And let me just uh, stop for just a second and encourage you to take your pick three card across all of our campuses and to fill that out. Because what you can do is not only give our, um, our next-gen volunteers a rest this summer, But I want to say this shamelessly. We want to recruit you to come and lead and teach and disciple in our next-gen ministry. And guys, I want to challenge you in particular that, that you can sign up and make a difference in the life of a child or a student. If you want to grow in your faith, let me say this. If you want to grow in your faith, which I know all of you do, if you want to be discipled, if you want to take the next step in your walk with Jesus, go and lead a sixth grade boys group. Yeah, boy. You want to learn the Bible? Go and teach the Bible to a third grade girls class. You'll learn the Bible because you'll get all kinds of questions and it'll make you study 
and you'll be discipled. And after all, all leadership is what? All leadership is discipleship. As we lead and we disciple other people, we ourselves are being discipled. So I want to challenge you across all of our campuses today to take the pick three card, to fill it out and turn it in before you leave campus today. We want you to be involved in our next gen ministry. And we have so many volunteers that are already doing so. This time last year, I got a call from a, a frantic mom who, whose son had been injured in a rugby accident, um, had a brain bleed. Uh, I had just preached and um, was, was driving home, got a call, and I said, hey, I'll meet you at, at CMC Pineville. And they said, no, we're going uptown. So uh, on my way uptown, I got a call saying they're going to transport him by helicopter. It was that serious from Pineville to uptown. So I remember pulling into the parking lot uptown, and the helicopter was circling the, the buildings there and landing right when I pulled in. Was able to come in and, and, and see the, this precious family pray with them. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we waited as the, the surgeons worked. And through the surgeons' hands and God's uh, supernatural power, uh, God healed Anthony. And the wonderful thing about this story is it didn't stop there. I've, I've watched this year as Anthony and his father and his brother have been faithfully volunteering in our next-gen ministry and serving and just giving back. And just an, an incredible only God story of what he's done in that family and, and how it's translated to the ministry of our church. One of our seventh-grade boys at our Matthews West campuses was, was, campus was struggling with anxiety and depression. And we have so many students who struggle with anxiety and with depression, so much pressure that they're, they're facing right now and um, was just really, really hurting and struggling. And his mom called his small group leader, a great picture of Orange, of a family reaching out to the church and coming together and working together. And the small group leader said, hey, um, thank you for telling me about this so I can pray for him, so I can love him. But have you ever considered signing him up for one of our camps? Uh, camp is a great time to connect with other students, to, to hear from God in a distraction-free zone, to have some fun and connect in that way. And so the mom signed this student up for one of our camps, and God showed up in a big way. One night at camp, uh, this student just surrendered his life to Christ for the first time, accepted Jesus, receiving God's peace, came back from camp, plugged into a seventh grade boys group, and has been journeying in that group all year long. On and on and on. Story after story after story of how God is working through our next-gen ministry to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. Guys, our, our children, our students, are going to see a day that we will not. Our next-gen, our children, our students, will see a day. They'll live in a moment that we will not live in. And the greatest gift that we can give to our church, to our city, to our state, to our country, to our world. The greatest single gift that we can give to our shared future is raising up the next generation of Christ followers. A generation that will carry our faith into the future, that will, will raise high the banner of Jesus, high and lift it up into the future. And in order for that to happen, we're going to have to partner together as a church and as families to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. To him alone be the glory today and forever. Amen.